Welcome to A Great Big City News, episode 26. Today, the High Line is complete and a tourist floats away. Visit agreatbigcity.com support to learn how to support New York City local news and allow us to keep bringing you this podcast. If you are a New York-based business and would be interested in sponsoring our podcast, visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to learn more. Hi, I'm Trace Gilton, founder of A Great Big City. The summer keeps getting hotter and New York news keeps rolling on. Here are some stories from this week in history and some updates on local news stories this week. 24 years ago on June 5, 1995. Just after 6 a.m., a J train headed into Manhattan rear-ends an M train on the Williamsburg Bridge, killing the train operator and injuring 64 others. Since the crash happened in an open area where the subway travels across the bridge, newspapers were covered in photos of the two silver subway cars dramatically smashed together and first responders attempting difficult rescues above the East River. A work train ahead of the M train had caused the delays, and the M train would normally be exiting the bridge into Manhattan when the J train began crossing from Brooklyn. The M train operator did not radio back to the command center to inform them that the train was stopped on the bridge. The NTSB found that Leighton Gibson, the J-train operator, was not impaired by drugs or alcohol, and he had performed normally and appeared alert during the rest of his work shift, so the investigation concluded that he was fatigued after an eight-hour overnight shift and from swinging from day work to night work, which led to him missing the yellow and red track signals showing that a train was stopped ahead and not engaging the emergency brake in time. In addition, the spacing between the signals was too short for the fail-safe emergency brake to stop the train. An off-duty train operator and a conductor who were on the J-train both recalled hearing the sound of the train's emergency brakes a few seconds before impact, but the train had no chance of stopping in such a short distance. A mechanical emergency system designed to stop the train if it passes a red signal seemed to have been properly tripped, but the distance between the emergency system and the stopped train was not long enough for the emergency brakes to stop the train. During a later inspection, the NTSB found evidence that the train was under full power when the emergency braking began, and it was traveling about 35 miles per hour as it passed the second-to-last stop signal before the crash, and about 17 miles per hour when it hit the M train. The collision occurred on the Brooklyn side of the Williamsburg Bridge just before the first tower on a section of subway infrastructure that had been installed in 1918. You may not be familiar with the crash if you weren't in the city at the time, but it has affected nearly every subway ride thereafter. As a result of that collision, and as a way of dealing with an aging signaling system, train speeds were lowered across the subway system, and the limits only began to be lifted in January 2019 in an effort to relieve the delays caused by low speed limits and improperly adjusted signals that could mistakenly activate a train's emergency brakes. Prior to the 1995 crash, there were no speed restrictions at the bridge and the majority of subway trains didn't even have speedometers, so train operators were left to estimate the speed on their own. With New York hosting the World Pride Festival in June and the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots approaching at the end of the month, Police Commissioner O'Neill made a public statement on June 6th formally apologizing for the actions of the NYPD in 1969. And as many of you might understand, the job of PC comes with great responsibility. Whether right or wrong, you assume ownership of the past and present. There are many times as the police commissioner you come across a crossroad, and I feel 
I am, we are at one now. We are at the beginning of World Pride Month, and I want nothing to detract from the inspiring, this inspiring celebration. In both my personal and professional life, I do my best to act responsibly, fairly, and respectfully. Over the past number of years, the NYPD has been forging new relationships and repairing existing relationships. At times, there are obstacles that get in the way. Sometimes those obstacles are easy to overcome, and sometimes they're not. I think it would be irresponsible of me as we go through World Pride Month not to speak of the events at the Stonewall Inn in June of 1969. Well, I'm certainly not going to stand up here and pretend to be an expert on what happened at Stonewall. I do know what happened should not have happened. The actions taken by the NYPD were wrong, plain and simple. The actions and the laws were discriminatory and oppressive, and for that, I apologize. The NYPD played a part in the uprising at the Stonewall Inn by repeatedly raiding Stonewall and other clubs in the area that catered to the gay community. While the police were ostensibly enforcing laws concerning unlicensed establishments and liquor laws, the NYPD used the raids to target gay clubs and harass those who had congregated in the only places that would accept them. The uprising at the Stonewall Inn began as clubgoers stood up against the repeated raids and undercover sting operations targeting gay clubs, and a movement grew from those first days of fighting that formed the modern movement for LGBT rights. View the link in the show notes for the full schedule of World Pride Festival events coming up in the city during June, and plan for the Pride Parade coming up on June 30th. Early June holds a special place in Highline history. Ten years ago, on June 8, 2009, the first section of the High Line opens from Gansevoort to 20th Street. Eight years ago, on June 7, 2011, the second section of the High Line opens from 20th to 30th Street. And this week, the final section is opened, completing the park. On June 4, a ribbon-cutting ceremony was held for the final section, a small spur that extends east at 30th Street toward 10th Avenue. This section of the High Line can safely be accessed now that construction on the eastern part of Hudson Yards has been completed since the spur of the High Line passes underneath one of the new buildings. After emerging from the building, the walkway opens to a large plaza area above 10th Avenue that will host a rotating selection of public art, with plans for more upcoming events to be held there. And in case you were wondering, although the other sections opened on June 8th, 7th, and 4th, the third section of the High Line from 30th Street through the west side of Hudson Yards wasn't able to open on a June date and instead opened in September 2014. The number of new measles cases in the city continues to decrease, but cases nationwide in 2019 have surpassed the number last seen 25 years ago in 1994, with 971 cases reported as of May 30, 2019. New York still represents the majority of the yearly cases, but the outbreak in Brooklyn seems to have begun to slow. Within the city, there were only 17 new cases reported since May 29th, with Williamsburg, Borough Park, and Sunset Park being described as neighborhoods with ongoing transmissions. The new cases peaked in March and April of this year and have continued to decrease in May and June. You can view more information about measles at nyc.gov doh 
or call 311 for information on where you or your child can get vaccinated against the disease. Some of the city's newest residents are moving back to upstate New York after losing their jobs. The weed-eating goats brought in to clean up Riverside Park have done too good of a job, and now the herd of goats has been reduced from 24 to 18. The six goats will go back to their farm in Rhinebeck, New York early, hopefully leaving enough greenery in the park to keep the remaining goats busy for the rest of the summer. The goats will rid the area of invasive plants, and it saves human volunteer time that can be used elsewhere in the park. If you'd like to see the goats, visit Riverside Park from 119th to 125th Street near Grant's Tomb. Three years ago on June 9, 2016, a British tourist floats for two hours in New York Harbor after a piece of Jersey City dock he was standing on breaks loose. Around 2.30 a.m., the tourist unintentionally set sail when the makeshift piece of dock detached from the Newport Yacht Club, and he spent two hours attempting to wave down passing boats. His cell phone had gotten wet, but just before 5 a.m., he was able to place a call to 911. He had spent his time on the water trying to dry his phone with a lighter and scribbling down notes to his family. The 911 dispatchers were awarded special recognition in 2018 for their efforts in directing emergency responders to the small raft based on landmarks the tourist was describing and the GPS signal from his cell phone. There will be more to report as the investigation continues, but on June 6th, a man was arrested by the Joint Terrorism Task Force for planning to attack Times Square. NBC New York identifies the man as Ashikul Alam, a 22-year-old resident of Jackson Heights, who had been under surveillance and stated a desire to attack Times Square, first suggesting grenades, but settling on firing a gun into the crowd. The FBI arrested Alam after he allegedly tried to buy guns with serial numbers removed. As U.S. Attorney Donahue announced, quote, Ashikul Alam bought illegal weapons as part of his plan to kill law enforcement officers and civilians in a terrorist attack on Times Square. What he did not know was that he was buying weapons from government agents who were monitoring the plans and intervening to prevent those plans from escalating into deadly violence. The Office of the U.S. Attorney, together with our law enforcement partners, will continue to exercise extreme vigilance to prevent terrorists from attacking our city and our country, unquote. FBI Director in Charge William F. Sweeney described Alam's planned attack as intending to kill New Yorkers, target an elected official, and attack police officers. And NYPD Police Commissioner James O'Neill added details that suggested Mr. Alam had surveilled multiple target locations in New York, including Times Square. In an announcement from the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of New York, the undercover sale was described as involving two Glock 19 pistols with obliterated serial numbers, which Mr. Alam intended to purchase for $400. He was arrested shortly thereafter. Stay tuned and I'll bring you updates on the case as it progresses through the courts. Twenty-two years ago, on June 12, 1997, Sri Chinmoy creates the world's longest certified foot race, the self-transcendence 3,100-mile race in Jamaica, Queens. The first year of the race was only 2,700 miles, but every race since has been increased to 3,100 miles, with the fastest runner completing the race with a time of 44 days and 16 hours. 
To complete the race within the allotted 52 days, runners need to cover a minimum of 59.6 miles each day, a distance greater than two typical marathons. The course is open from 6 a.m. to midnight each day, and the ultra-marathoners repeatedly circle Edison High School and the Joseph Austin Playground in Jamaica to rack up their miles. Visit Jamaica and cheer on the runners this year, beginning on June 16th. And finally, here's a fun story to end with. Visit the link in the show notes to see a video from a great big city of Zelda the Battery Park Turkey roaming Battery Park eight years ago on June 6, 2011. Some school children happened to be passing by as Zelda picked at the grass behind a low fence and they had a great time seeing a turkey up close. Zelda had been a city resident since May 2003 and appeared in various downtown locations over the years but always returned home to Battery Park. She survived the flooding of the park during Hurricane Sandy in 2012 only to be killed by a car in 2014 on South Street. Great Big City has been running a 24-hour news feed since 2010, but the AGBC News podcast is just getting started and we need your support. A Great Big City is built on a dedication to explaining what's happening and how it fits into the larger history of New York, which means thoroughly researching every topic and avoiding clickbait headlines to provide a straightforward, honest, and factual explanation of the news. Individuals can make a monthly or one-time contribution at agreatbigcity.com support. And local businesses can have a lasting impact by supporting local news while promoting their products or services directly to interested customers listening to this podcast. Visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to view rates and learn more. Park of the Day. Patrick O'Rourke Park along 12th Avenue in Diker Heights, Brooklyn, the former site of a World War II victory garden where residents grew food. This park was renamed in 2003 for local resident Patrick O'Rourke, whose medical injury when he was a child impacted medical practice worldwide by drawing attention to the necessity of blood oxygen monitors. In parks events, visit St. Vartan Park, in Midtown East in Manhattan, this Saturday, June 8th, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. for the New York Parks Pickleball Festival. The event is free and features open play, prizes, and more. Pickleball equipment will be provided. That's St. Vartan Park at 35th Street between 1st and 2nd on Saturday, June the 8th. And now let's see what our robot friend has picked for this week on the concert calendar. This is the AGBC concert calendar for the upcoming week. Geographer and Manity Commune are playing the Bowery Ballroom on Friday, June 7th. The Marcus King Band is playing Brooklyn Bowl on Friday, June 7th. Alexis on Fire and Angel Dust are playing Terminal 5 on Friday, June 7th. Coheed and Cambria, Every Time I Die, and Mastodon are playing the Amphitheater at the Coney Island Boardwalk in Seagate on Friday June 7th at 6pm. 
Empire of the Sun is playing Webster Hall on Friday, June 7th at 7 p.m. Local natives and middle kids are playing Brooklyn Steel and Greenpoint on Friday, June 7th at 9 p.m. Rainbow Drive, Slow Bullet, and Slow Pup are playing the Bowery Ballroom on Saturday, June 8th. Frankie Cosmos and Ian Sweet are playing the Industry City Courtyard on Saturday, June 8th. The Mavericks are playing Beacon Theatre on the Upper West Side on Saturday, June 8th at 8 p.m. Anthony Santos is playing United Palace Theatre in Hudson Heights on Saturday, June 8th at 8 p.m. Machine Gun Kelly is playing PlayStation Theatre in Midtown on Saturday, June 8th at 8 p.m. Beach House and Ed Schrader's Music Beat are playing Brooklyn Steel on Sunday, June 9th. Godmaker, Sumnuri, Stonecutters, and Yatra are playing Sunnyvale on Sunday, June 9th. India Ari is playing Beacon Theatre on the Upper West Side on Sunday, June 9th at 8 p.m. Beach House is playing Brooklyn Steel and Greenpoint on Sunday, June 9th at 8 p.m. Tim McGraw with John Meacham are playing Beacon Theatre Upper West Side on Monday, June 10th at 8 p.m. Pink Sweats are playing Webster Hall on Tuesday, June 11th at 7 p.m. The National and Courtney Barnett are playing the Prospect Park Ben Shell on Wednesday, June 12th at 7 p.m. Ariana Grande, Normani, and Social House are playing Barclays Center on Friday, June 14th. Death Cab for Cutie and Jenny Lewis are playing Forest Hills Stadium on Saturday, June 15th. And Billie Eilish and Denzel Curry are playing Radio City Music Hall on Wednesday, June 19th. Thanks for listening. Find more fun things to do at agreatbigcity.com slash events. Here's something you may not have known about New York. Roosevelt Island was named Welfare Island in 1921 after the penitentiary hospital located on the island. It was renamed in honor of Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1977. Weather for the week ahead, mostly cloudy on Friday, with rain on Monday through next Friday. High temperatures stay in the 70s and 80s throughout the week. Extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history, a record high of 99 degrees on June 4, 1925, and a record low of 45 degrees on June 3, 1929. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City, or email contact at A Great Big City with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, Pocket Casts, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening, and visit our podcast site to see show notes and extra links for each episode. Thanks for being part of A Great Big City.